you have your Bibles, find your place with me, if you will, in the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, as you turn in there. Um, so things have changed so much since I was a kid, and uh, I feel like I'm now the guy who um, walked uphill both ways in the snow to school. Um, and uh, But seriously, when I look back I, and I remember things, maybe I remember them wrongly, but I remember being outside all the time as a kid. Anybody remember living? Okay, I'm not the only one. Uh, in fact, you know, my folks would be like, don't come home. <laughs> Um, stay away. <laughs> I feel like saying that quite a bit to my children. Um, so we would, uh, us boys, we would roam the neighborhoods unsupervised most of the time. That's one of the things I feel like has changed so much is uh, the neighborhood parents would watch out for us as kids, you know. And we would uh, we'd roam, roam the neighborhoods and sometimes we'd venture off. So far that um, I was the youngest and I remember thinking, I don't even know how we got here or how to get home from here. (laughs) And uh, I was so thankful for my older brothers sometimes because I would have never found my way home. I I wonder if spiritually you've ever felt that way. If you've ever felt like you've been just so far from home spiritually. Maybe you've wandered from the Lord and you... You're not really sure you can find your way back to him. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe someone in the house is there right now. You can't remember the last time that you just sat with him quietly, opened the word, prayed, spent some time with God in personal relationship in his word and in prayer. In fact, maybe your your prayer life right now is non-existent. You don't even remember the last time you've spoken real words from your heart to the Lord. Maybe life's thrown you some serious curveballs and things you didn't expect, uh, some tragedy maybe. Your plans have not played out in the way that you've hoped. Been a tragic death, possibly. A devastating affair. Maybe there's an estranged relationship that um, just won't seem to come to any kind of resolution. A job loss or painful betrayal by someone you trusted. These are just a a few scenarios that can make you feel far away from God. And and I know that there are many in the house, at least some, who are in this place. And if if you're not, and if you haven't been, you probably will be someday. Maybe your distance from the Lord is not circumstantial. Like not just a curveball that you that you weren't expecting. It may be your distance from the Lord is because you left, like you walked away. You went searching for something in the world that you thought the Lord promised but has not yet provided. And so I'm going to go get this on my own. And now you've settled into a life that just keeps God at sort of a safe distance. Um, it's a life where... You're in charge and um, he's just there sort of as just in case. Your life in the world seems less complicated. You just do whatever you want to do, right? You get to live for yourself. there's There's a kind of freedom in that setting. Well, at the end of that road, if you haven't gotten there already, what you'll discover... Is that when you live to satisfy yourself, you'll never truly be satisfied. It's just more emptiness around every corner. So, we turn our attention to the book of Ruth. And the reason I begin this way is because this is the way the story begins. So for anyone who is far from God, for whatever reason, there's good news for you today. Good news from Ruth. And the the news is this. We have a God, the Lord, who brings us home. The Lord brings us home. He is the one who fills our emptiness and restores our hope. So if you found your place in the Bible, in the book of Ruth... Um, Would you go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? We're going to read chapter one. Ruth is a a beautiful narrative story kind of sandwiched between uh, the the, the judges and 
God's bringing in of the kings in the stories of Samuel. What we're going to find uh, over the next few weeks is how Ruth plays a very key role in God's giving to us the one true king. But for now, let's just look at how the story begins. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there in Moab about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had given, had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope... Even if I should have a husband this might and should that, that this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said to her, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is that Naomi? She said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Lord God. You are almighty God, even in our wandering and our waywardness. Many, Lord, many of us have wandered from you and need the way back. Will you show yourself faithful today through your word and help us to see that in the darkest of days, you give us the faith to repent, to return to you. You are working in our waiting. Help us, Lord, to see that you're working all things for your glory 
and our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, so many people take the book of Ruth out to be a Hallmark-style romance, love story, between Ruth and Boaz. And uh, as you see, we've, we've not even gotten to that character yet. Boaz won't show up until next week. Um, but this, while it is a love story, while there is a lot, I suppose we could learn about godly manhood, about a, about a husband, how a husband should love and care for a wife, and about uh, a young woman who's loyal and faithful to her mother-in-law and now going to be faithful to her husband. There's all kinds of things we can learn there. It's not the main idea of the book. The story of Ruth is actually about how God works through terribly dark times, terribly dark days for our highest good and his greatest glory. So the story of Ruth, it, it's nestled into the Old Testament. And it's really a unique story because it sort of zooms in on what's going on in the time of The judges. Ruth was originally written and intended to be read all in one sitting. So the chapter breaks while they're helpful divisions. If you're reading, you know, like daily reading, they leave us actually longing for resolution, don't they? As we finish chapter one, don't you want to go? Okay, what 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 what's next? What's going to happen next? How does this story go? It feels incomplete. Stopping at the chapter break is. It's kind of like refusing to watch the next episode on your favorite Netflix series. You're left sort of at a cliffhanger. You want to know what's, what's going to happen. And yet, uh, we are going to walk through these one chapter at a time over the next few weeks. We're going to save the ultimate resolution for a, week, a few weeks from now. But each chapter is actually loaded with lots of great gospel truth. So we don't have to wait till the culmination to get to the good news. This first chapter, though, is heavy with sorrow and bitterness. And so the temptation for me, I think, as a pastor to jump to the to the resolution is really intense. And hopefully we can just sit with this for a moment. Right. Um, I think I think that's part of our problem as a people is that we've failed to learn how to lament well. Does does this make sense what I'm saying to you? I think we're so quick to run through our sorrow and sadness and get to the other side. How quickly can I get out of this? That many times we miss what the Lord wants to do in the midst of it. And so rather than moving quickly from chapter one, from the sorrow, from famine, from funerals, from sadness and sorrow and bitterness, rather than rushing out of that and rushing to The good news at the end of the story, I want us to sit with this for just a moment and allow the weight of this chapter just to sit on us. Before we get into the depth of the narrative, um, the opening five or six verses are super helpful, very choppy, very short, um, terse. The way the writer writes is just to kind of It's almost, if you would imagine a Broadway play, the narrator steps out and gives you all this information. Just information so that you'll know kind of what's going on when the characters show up on stage. So as we walk into this scene where uh, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah are on the road leaving Moab, you would be clueless if we didn't have the first five verses. But it's mostly just information. It's helpful information. And we're, we're given some very hurtful details without any emotion at all. It's kind of a strange way to write, but it is helpful. Here's what we find in these first five verses. We find at the time when the judges ruled. If you're looking in your Bible, in fact, look with me if you will. Ruth comes right after Judges. And for me, it's a page flip back. Would you flip the page and look at the very last verse of the book of Judges? Let's just remind ourselves what was going on in the in the centuries that the judges ruled in Israel. What was happening? And here's the summation of the whole book of Judges in the very last verse of Judges. It says this in those days, there was no king in Israel. 
Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How many of you know that's a recipe for disaster? Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And as we read through the book of Judges, what we discovered, and we preached through that book a few months ago, what we discovered was there's a, a repeated cycle. Do you remember what it was? The people, they would rest in the Lord, and then they would do what they wanted to do, right? Did what was right in their own eyes. So then there's rebellion, So we go from rest in God to rebelling from God. I'm going to do what I want to do, not what you say. I'm just going to do what I I think is best. Rebellion, which inevitably led to ruin. And then the Lord used ruin and the depth of difficulty to lead the people to repentance, right? So the people would repent and then God would give them a judge like Gideon or Samson or one of the judges to lead them out of their ruin. So God gave them a rescuer and that brought them back into rest. But the rest was always short lived because everyone did what was right in their own eyes and it recycled again. We go from rest to rebellion, to ruin, to rest or to repentance, rescue and then rest again. Now, as I've talked through that, maybe you say, I think I have lived that. And probably you have. But this was the time in Israel's history, the time of the judges when terrible things were happening. And God was intending these terrible things to bring about a return of the people. They had run from him and he wanted them to return to him. And so he would bring about terrible things like famine. What do we find in the opening words of the book of Ruth? What's going on in in this time period? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So God is using famine. He's using it so that they will turn and return to him. So here we find, as we continue in the first five verses, that um, a man named Elimelech, Moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab. He did that in search of food. It was kind of a pragmatic, very practical decision. We're hungry. There's no food here. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes and we're going to load up and go to Moab. I've heard there's some food there. There's, this is a loaded decision. We'll get into more of that later. But here's what we discover in the first five verses. They get to Moab and then Elimelech dies. So the man who thought he could provide for his family is dead before he knows it. And now he's left a widow and two sons. Now, rather than return, they elect to stay in Moab. And the two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. They stay there for over 10 years. Now, in this, in verse 5, this little summation, this narrator's introduction to the story ends with these words. The woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And that's where the curtains would pull back, so to speak. And here's Naomi. And so we're introduced to a woman in the midst of some of the worst kinds of suffering you anyone could ever experience. Right. We're talking about the death of her husband. And now her only two sons are both dead. Also, here she is in a foreign land. All alone. And we're meant to feel the weight of this pain. So the whole chapter, the whole first chapter is loaded with pain-filled statements. And although it's just five short verses for us, for Naomi, it felt like years, and it was. Years loaded with pain and suffering. She could probably barely catch her breath before the next wave of agony washed over her. Now, what do we see in this chapter? As we read our Bibles, we always want to discover who is our God. How is he revealing himself to us in these words, in this text? And so I want us to walk through some truths here from chapter one. The first is this. The Lord will discipline his children. The Lord will discipline his children As we've discussed, famine is 
uh, a covenant curse of judgment. Um, if you have your Bibles, we could read a little bit in, in Deuteronomy 28. Beginning in verse 15, the Lord says this. He, he's just promised them blessing for obedience. The beginning part of the chapter. And then there's a pivot in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, frustration and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your own deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you he, uh, until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, with drought, with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under your feet iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven Dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. This is not good news, is it? So this is a promise of cursing. It's a warning from God. If you will obey me, if you will walk with me, if you'll trust me, if you'll do as I've called you to do, you'll be blessed. Life with me will be great. It'll be wonderful. It'll be awesome. You'll be blessed as you go in and blessed as you come out. You're, everything you do will be favored and blessed. This is God's promise to His people. It's the promised land, isn't it? And then He says, but... If you turn from me, it will be cursed at every corner. The Lord will discipline his children. Famine in this setting is God's covenant curse of judgment on his people who have drifted or gone away. He's pressing down on disobedient people so that they will repent. I hope we see the goodness of God in this kind of difficulty. How many parents in the house? When you disciplined your children, do you want ultimate good for them? Or do you just enjoy the moment of discipline? Don't don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. We, We are broken people, right? The truth is this. Um... The reason for discipline is for ultimate blessing. It's to walk people, the people that you love deeply, is to walk them in the depths of difficulty so that they will come back to you, so that they will return and stop walking in that way. And it's preventative, isn't it? Now learn, children, learn from this journey. You don't want to walk these streets again. Discipline is intended not just for this moment, but for future moments. And the Lord is loving and good even in his hardships. Well, what happens here? Even with Elimelech, we're getting a zoomed in look on one Jewish family. And what we're seeing is that when the difficulty of famine came, they didn't return to the Lord. They ran from the Lord. They did not repent. They ran. And here we come to our second truth. The Lord will let you run. He will let you run. And if you run far enough, it will be to your destruction. He will let you run. Church, we we can't miss this. They leave Bethlehem. Anybody know what the word Bethlehem means? House of anybody know bread. House of bread. That's it. They leave the house of bread in search of food. They leave the promised land 
to go to a pagan land, the land of compromise. If that's not ironic enough, the name Elimelech means God is king. God is king. And yet in this moment, he doesn't make a decision as if God is king. He makes a decision in light of the the epic season of the judges. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Elimelech, even though his name means God is king, he doesn't acknowledge God as king. And he takes his family and says, I'll take care of this. Let's go. And they leave the promised land and they go to Moab. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but his end is destruction. His decision, Elimelech's decision, ultimately proved to be a very costly one, right? He died. His sons died. In James chapter 4, verse 13, we're, le- we're warned about how to plan our lives Uh, The scripture says, come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we'll be in such and such a a town and we'll spend a year there. We'll do business. We'll trade and do this or that. He says, no, no, no. You you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Right. What is your life? You're but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Elimelech doesn't live as if God is king. He doesn't say, if the Lord wills, he just says, let's go. God has brought this ruin on us. Let's get out of here. Rather than return to the Lord, they run from the Lord. Well, Naomi's sons decide to marry Moabite women. There's a lot we could say here, but they could have moved back to Bethlehem when dad died. Right. They could have, but they didn't. They tried to start families in Moab. We may should note here that Moab is an ancient enemy of Israel. We could talk a lot about the history here, but I I don't want to dig too deep into that. But the Moabites are descendants of Lot. If you remember Genesis 19, Lot's daughters got him very drunk. They slept with him. They had two sons uh, that ended up being the the peoples of, of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Two of Israel's worst enemies ever. And the people of Israel had a lot of hatred for the people of Moab for many reasons. So these boys are these sons and and their their wives are now staying here in Moab for 10 years. And then both sons died. And so chapter one, verse five and six ends with um, Naomi and her daughters in law. They alone remain. They are left alone in the wake of faithless men. No doubt they felt so alone. It was like even God was far away. And here again is another truth. The Lord may seem far away, but he is faithful. The Lord may seem far, but he is faithful. As we look back to Ruth's story, The story of, at this point, Naomi. She is heartbroken, right? The way she talks is distressing. Um, Just just look at the text for a moment. Listen to what Naomi says about the Lord. Naomi says, It's exceedingly bitter for me to me for your sake that the Lord, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They lift up their voices. They weep. Naomi goes on when she comes back into the city. She says, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. She uh, she says, I was full, but now I'm empty. His hand, God's hand is against me. He has dealt bitterly with me. He has brought calamity upon me. Naomi goes so far even to say, don't even call me Naomi. Her name means pleasant. She says, that's not even true of me anymore. I'm not pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. 
Naomi feels, and rightfully I think so, she feels so far from God. All of life, her whole world, everything, her hopes and dreams for future, everything has crashed in on her. And she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. And this is where we get a glimmer of hope. She turns to her daughters-in-law and she says, girls, you need to go back to Moab. This thing, I'm sorry, y'all. You need to go back to Moab and start a life for yourself. Maybe you'll be happy. You'll find a husband and you'll settle in and you'll start a family. And the chances for you here are better than they are with me in Judah. And she was right. Practically speaking, their laws in Moab were not like the Israelite laws. So these women would have been free to marry whoever wanted them. But if she stays, is there a handheld I can use? That's bothering me. But if she stays, if they stay with Naomi, the the chances for them to have a family and to be married and to have children, which is a big deal in this culture, are are, are slim to none. They would have to marry a a kinsman, someone related to Naomi, a a, a brother of the or a sibling or a kinsman of her deceased husband, Elimelech. And Naomi can't think for the life of her that there's anybody for them. So she says, you need to stay here and start a family. Your chances for a future are good. Just leave me alone in my sorrow and suffering and sadness. Let me go home and die. Is essentially what Naomi is saying. Let me go and die. These women, this is super sad. Like this is a moment where they lift up their voices in agony. They've been through a lot together. These, these women have lost husbands. This woman has lost a husband and, and two sons. And so the, the, the shared grief, the sorrow that has been a bond for them. And so they, they weep together. They lift up their voices. They cry aloud. And Orpah hugs, kisses her and says, you're right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home. I'm going to go back. And she turns and goes. But then we get two of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible given to us by Ruth. Many of, these, many of you maybe have used these scriptures in your wedding because they express faithful, loyal commitment of love. So in chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth turns to Naomi and she says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. This is powerful. This is a loyal, faithful friend who is literally looking at all the promise and potential that she has if she goes back to Moab and she says, nope, I'm going to be with you. And it's in this moment we get a glimmer of gospel hope for Naomi. In Ruth, God is giving a tangible, visible, felt expression of what He is like. That God is with us in this kind of hurt, in the deepest, darkest place of your journey. God says, where you go, I will go. I am with you. I'm with you. So consider things for a moment from Ruth's perspective. Naomi, like I said, she's right. And if Ruth stays in Moab, her future seems brighter. But Ruth, determined to go back with Naomi to Bethlehem, she is willing to endure incredible hardship as a foreigner, as a widow. She's willing to go and serve and care for her mother-in-law. She's not only committed to Naomi, but listen to the words. She says, your God will be my God. Ruth is not just committed to Naomi. She is converted to faith in God. This is conversion. Ruth is is turning from rejecting the gods of the Moabites and she's turning to the God of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but this is baffling for me. It's troubling for me because the God of Israel 
Naomi says, his hand has been against me, right? She's been through incredible suffering. They've both suffered terrible loss. And yet somehow in all of that depth of suffering, Ruth has seen in Naomi that God is faithful. This is where I want us to see another truth about the Lord. The Lord will use suffering to grip your heart. There is a rawness to Naomi and her suffering. When you read the words that Naomi says in this chapter, how do you feel about her? I'm going to be honest. I used to think, man, this woman is a complainer. I'm, I'm just being honest. I used to think, she needs to get it together. She shouldn't say things like that. I want to tell you that the Lord has really changed my perspective on Naomi. There's a rawness. Many of you, I think, need to hear what I'm about to say. So really zone in, okay? There's a rawness to her suffering. It's abrasive. It's hard to hear. Think about what it was like when Naomi and Ruth walk into Bethlehem and people are like, oh my gosh, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi, is that you? Don't call me Naomi. (laughs) That's hard to handle, isn't it? It's very sharp. You call me bitter. It's hard. It's abrasive. It's, um... But I'm going to tell you, I've learned that I love the resiliency of her faith. She acknowledges God all the time. That he is intricately involved even in the worst things in her life. She's saying God's hand has been against me. She doesn't ever say God is gone. I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. She never bails on his existence. She always believes he's there. She just doesn't understand what he's doing. I'm telling you, that is the right place to be. Her suffering hasn't made her doubt her God. She actually believes he's sovereignly in control, even over her worst calamities. She says that. He has brought calamity on me. She sounds a lot like Job, right? Speaking frankly about her disappointment with God. I don't know about you, but I've always, I don't know, been reluctant. I've been fearful to speak my disappointment or frustration with God. I I say this is not only abrasive, but it's refreshing because it's real. It's real. Does anybody know life is hard? It's full of hurt. And it is garbage if you're hurting and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And you go, I'm fine. (laughs) Naomi trusts God enough to stay close to him even when it hurts. She could have run away. But she tells him how she feels. She tells him how it hurts. She doesn't storm away in anger. She actually continues to pray to this God, Yahweh. She actually prays and asks this God who's brought calamity on her to bring blessing on her daughters-in-law. Lord, bless them. Lord, Yahweh, bless them, please. Lament and sorrow are good and right. We just don't know how to do it. We're we're too good at fake to be real. Brokenness over a broken world is right. It is right to grieve over the ugliness of life. When life crashes in, it's okay for you to get a little messy. To voice that frustration, to speak it, to say it, to run to God with your angers. That's okay. He can handle it. Life isn't always a polished Instagram reel, is it? I don't know. Maybe maybe we think that our, our whitewashed prayers 
and our fake smiles will somehow clean up God's mess as if we're trying to, you know, save his image for people. God does not need us to improve his image. He needs us to be real. To hurt when we hurt. To be honest. And there's something beautiful about her ugly honesty. Now there will be some people that move away quickly, right? When, when Naomi comes to town, I imagine they're like, oof, I don't know what's got into her. And so they get away. But there will be others that when, you, when, when we invite people into the painful corners of life, they too are allowed to grieve. And ultimately to be set free from what feels like a prison of their own pain. Without the fear of disapproval from God or judgment from anyone else. This is, this is huge. And maybe this is part of the reason why Ruth stuck with Naomi. And maybe part of the reason why Ruth trusted in her God is because no one would have ever talked back to the God of Moab, Kimish, to whom they offered child sacrifice. No one would have ever challenged him. No one would have ever spoken their frustrations about him. But Ruth is seeing something personal, some kind of interaction that she's never experienced with this God who is able to bring calamity and blessing. And she says, I need that God. Naomi made hurting people feel at home. That's what happens when we're real. Honesty. It's hard. But it's good. And amazingly, it is this raw faith in the midst of deep sorrow that seems to win Ruth's heart. She professes faith in this God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I think we, we think God is more winsome in prosperity, don't we? And maybe He is. There's great blessings in the gospel. Great blessing in relationship with Jesus. But we're here. And we live today in difficulty and hardship, but we need a God who's with us in it, right? What did um, Ruth discover about God? She discovered that God is great and that God is good. Let me say it this way. Naomi, as she's talking about God, she speaks about Him using two words. She calls Him Shaddai. Anybody familiar with El Shaddai? Uh, it, it means God Almighty. So when she uses the word Almighty, if you look at the end of the chapter, she says, the Almighty has brought calamity on me. She's talking about the God of power, right? The God who is omnipotent, who is able to do whatever He wants to do. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? He owns it and He will do whatever He wants to do. He has the power, He's almighty. So she, she calls him Shaddai. Ruth has seen a God who is powerful to do whatever he wants to do. That word almighty, Shaddai, is used in the book of Job over 30 times. Ruth or Naomi and Job have some similarities. So God is able. God can. But the very first time Naomi mentions God, she doesn't use the word Shaddai. She uses the word Yahweh. It's the covenant name, the, the name for God that is re- the relationship that God has given to his people. He says, you will know me as Yahweh. I am who I am. I am a, your God. You are my people. I'm with you. I am good. The essence of this name is that it, it, embodies, it embodies God's goodness, his steadfast love and faithfulness for all generations to his people. So think about what Ruth has come to know and what Naomi is revealing about what she believes about God is that he is almighty and that he is good. He's mighty, he's powerful, and he is good. These are beautiful truths, and Naomi clings to them in the midst of the darkest of days. And these are the two realities that we must build our bedrock of faith on about who our God is. It's the only way we'll weather life's true storms. A lot of people will say when they come into a trial, well, you know, I guess God just couldn't handle this one. What a terrible theology. God is more than able to handle this one. He just has a purpose for the pain. 
He's more than able. He is the Almighty. Or people will go through terrible tragedy and they'll say, well, God, if God is able to fix this, then He is not good. God can handle that. But it's not true. He is good. So what we're seeing in Ruth chapter 1 is the same story we've seen unfold throughout the Bible, right? We see this glimmer of hope, this, this light flickering in the midst of darkness. It's, it's like God is wanting to put the diamond of His goodness, but He's got to roll out a black velvet first. He wants to show you the brightness of the glory of this diamond of the gospel, but He rolls out the black velvet of difficulty and hardship first. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a baby, right? How long did that take? I would say it was a dark few decades. And then finally, God shows that not only He can, but He's good and He will do it. He allows a 90-year-old woman to conceive. And some of our older ladies in the room are like, that's not good news. (laughs) But God was being faithful to His promise, right? And He gave them Isaac. Think about Joseph for a moment. He's sold into slavery, thrown into prison. These are dark 15 to 17 years of dark times. But what was it all about? What was it for? Well, we find out at the end of Joseph's story, he's elevated to be governor. He ends up being the one God uses to save the people from famine. And he tells his brothers what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We find out God is able. He is Shaddai. He is powerful. And he is good. What about Moses? He's born into a time when the Pharaoh is killing the babies, right? He's getting rid of all the babies. And This mother has a child. She's deathly afraid that she's so she nurses him in secret. And when she can no longer keep him a secret, she floats him down the river. That took incredible faith. Where does he float? Right into the Pharaoh's daughter, her arms. This mother who's had a a precious baby, three month old baby is now living in the Pharaoh's house. This is darkness. But then God says, you know what? You're going to need somebody to nurse that baby. Why don't you go find a mother? They go find his mother and pay her to nurse. My wife just nursed twins. I wish somebody had paid her for that. That was quite a job. God is always weaving little glimmers of hope into the stories of darkness so that we see there is hope for the hopeless. So this story in the book of Ruth in chapter 1, while it's dark, it's difficult, it's filled with sorrow and sadness and hardship, it ends with this truth. The Lord brings us home. This whole first chapter is a journey home. The journey from famine. Did you notice that's how the chapter opened? How does the chapter close? Harvest, right? From rebellion, Elimelech says, no, we're, we're not going to stay here. We're going we're gonna to go from rebellion to return, to repentance, right? It goes from misery to mercy. God has given to Naomi in the depth of her misery. She's, he's given her Ruth, a faithful companion and friend. It's misery to mercy and ultimately from hopelessness to a glimmer of hope. What's going to happen in that barley field? Who's she going to meet there? Oh, the Lord has a plan, doesn't he? All this difficulty, all this hardship. God, the Lord sought them and brought them home. He sought them and brought them home. God has used this dark detour, if you will, to display one of the most amazing portraits of grace. For Naomi, it's a return to the Lord and His people, right? And you may have wandered far from God. Maybe you've been living for years away from the Lord. But God has come to rescue you in the person of Jesus Christ. He has sought you out. Today you're hearing this message and hope, hopefully the hope of the gospel is shining into your darkness. The Lord has come for you. Return to him. Maybe you're more like Ruth. She's a a person of Moab, a, a Moabite, sinful people who hated God and embraced idolatry. But Ruth is brought home too, right? She's brought to a new home. A home where she will say, your God will be my God. 
Listen, your sinful past does not have to define your future self. God can rescue and redeem anyone from anywhere, from any sin, if you turn to Jesus Christ. By God's grace, Ruth has come home to the greatness and goodness of the one true God. It is God's rescuing work to make the faraway places miserable. Do you know that? It's His rescuing work to make faraway places miserable and to create a longing to be home with Him and His people again. There's hope for you today. Uh, We're going to observe communion together this morning as we finish our time together. So in times when it feels like God has abandoned you, He is working in ways that you don't understand. And in one of the darkest times in history, it seemed like all was lost. It seemed like there had been a terrible wrong turn. Jesus had been arrested and taken to the cross and was crucified. And it seemed like utter failure. But it was actually in those moments that Jesus was claiming His victory for you and for me over our sin and offering to us the hope of salvation That comes only through Him. Here's the Gospel. Jesus has taken your sin on Himself. He's given His life in your place. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, you, like Naomi or Ruth, can be redeemed out of your hardship, out of your sin, and rescued into a relationship with Almighty God. Jesus is your only 